going to be in verses 1 through 12. And uh, while you're turning there, just a reminder, in case you had forgotten, that we will not be here next week because of spring break. And so we will catch up with you two weeks from today. We won't have an 11 o'clock service because we figure many of you will still be coming in from out of town, but the 6 o'clock service will still be going. And then we'll start our 11 o'clock back up three weeks from today. So one week after you get back from spring break. And uh, we hope you guys have a great break. Hope that you stay safe and that the Lord uses it to refresh you and make you ready to come back and uh, start the rest of the year. All right, Hebrews chapter 11. Let me start in verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the men of old gained approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are our solid rock, that in the midst of trials, in the midst of temptation, we can cling to the promise that you have given us that you will never leave. You will never forsake us. We cling to the promise that for those who are faithful, there is a reward that is greater than any reward this world could promise. And we pray now that we would fix our eyes and our minds and our hearts on the promise of that reward. We pray as we study your word that you would convict us through the power of your spirit. Father, uh, we know that there are areas in which we need to change. We know that there are sins in our life that we are clinging to that are keeping us from focusing on that promise of reward. And there are things we are tempted to value more highly than you. So forgive us, Father, and transform us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I was uh, in junior high or high school, our youth group went to Go bungee jumping, actually. Now, I realize this is not something that youth groups do now because the youth pastor would be sued 
badly, uh, but uh, we went to go bungee jumping and uh, it was the first and only time that I've ever done this. We went to a place near my hometown where uh, supposedly it was safe bungee jumping. What you would do is you would climb up on a tower, they would harness you in with uh, like a mountain climbing type of harness, and then they attached the big thick bungee cable to your waist, and uh, below you, after you jumped, there was a uh, very large sort of pillow type of thing that uh, in case there was some sort of backfire with the bungee cord itself, was supposed to catch you. So it was supposed to be exceedingly safe. Uh, So we went up to this place and when it was my turn, climbed up the tower and uh, the guy says, all right, I'm going to count to three backwards. I'm going to count down from three backwards. When I get down to one, I want you to jump. All right. And then before I even had a moment to think, he goes, three, two, one, go. All right. Now two or three things went through my mind, right? As he did that. The first one was, why did he count that fast. I wasn't ready. I needed to get my mind around this concept. The second one was I looked down and I was about 70 feet in the air and I thought, uh, this is crazy. Uh, people are not supposed to jump off of tall towers. There's a reason that my mind is going, don't do it. All right. Uh, the third thing actually that went through my mind was uh, I want to walk back down and climb down the ladder, but everybody else in my youth group, including all of the girls, were watching. And I knew uh, that if I turned around and did that, it would be a shameful climb back down that ladder. So I looked and I had all of these plans going up there that I was you know, going to do a swan dive or maybe a flip or something. Uh, none of that transpired. I looked and I looked at the bottom and I just went like that and I just stepped off of it and I fell. Now, the amazing thing was uh, everything worked as it should have, right? I fell, the rope caught me, I didn't hit the pillow, I didn't hit the ground, and uh, it was a blast, actually. One of the most enjoyable experiences that I remember of my young life, I remember falling and thinking, this is really fun, right? And then the rope caught me and I bounced back up and I thought, that's cool, and then went back down and back up a couple of times, and then they pulled me uh, off of it and let me hit the ground gently on that pillow, and I crawled off, and it was this awesome experience, but it was also a terrifying experience at the same time. And to a certain extent, that is what the life of faith is as the book of Hebrews describes it. it. Has the potential to be one of the most rewarding lives. In fact, the most rewarding way of pursuing your life is to focus your eyes and your heart and your mind and your passions and desires on the person of Jesus Christ and the promises that God has made through Jesus Christ. And then you live your life in light of that looking forward to the reward of eternity. One of the greatest misconceptions about the Christian life is that it's boring and that the life of the world is what's really fun and what's really exhilarating. And as the Bible describes the Christian life, it is anything but boring because it is a life filled with risk, filled with focus on the promises of God and filled with excitement and joy. And that's what Hebrews 11 describes for us. And yet it's not always an easy life, the life of faith, because it does require risk sometimes when you're afraid. A number of years ago, uh, we did a evangelistic Bible study on campus. Uh, We asked several freshmen 
to participate along with us and to lead these little evangelistic groups where they would invite their non-Christian friends and they would come up and they would gather in a group and they would talk about things like, is the Bible true? Who is Jesus? How can I have eternal life? And over the course of five weeks, they would share the gospel with their friends. So we asked a number of these freshmen to come participate and we said, the first thing is, you guys need to go and find people to be in these groups. So go find people in your classes or on campus that you know that might be interested in being in one of these groups and ask them to come. And so first night we showed up and several of the students had one, two, three students with them that they were going to lead through this study. But there was this one girl that showed up and I still remember this very vividly and she showed up all by herself. And uh, I said, oh, were you not able to ask anybody this week to come? And she goes, no, I asked. She had asked about seven or eight people to come. And been turned down. She said, I haven't been rejected this much since my sorority's date party two or three weeks ago. And uh, she walked in and I could just see that she was crestfallen because she'd taken a risk and it hadn't paid off. But she showed up. Next week she went out. She did the same thing. She asked three or four people. Had a hard time. It was about the third week before she had one or two people show up. And they sat and they listened and they stayed for the last three weeks and they heard the message of the gospel because of her faithfulness and her willingness to risk her reputation, to risk rejection, to overcome that fear for the sake of the gospel. And the joy she experienced on the back end completely erased those feelings of sadness and rejection she had on the front end. That's the life of faith. That's what Hebrews describes. Now, if you remember, as we've walked through Hebrews, he has just finished giving a very stern warning. That was last week, Hebrews 10. This very stern warning that if you shrink back, there are consequences. In other words, if you are walking along and you are believing in Jesus Christ and then you shrink back and you say, no, what I prefer is my comfort, my safety, my whatever, my prestige. I prefer that to Jesus Christ. There are serious consequences. And remember, we talked about that last week, that the consequences he talks about are not that you lose your salvation Right, not that you prove you never were a Christian, but that you will forfeit certain rewards that God has promised to those who are faithful. And the idea in Hebrews is that one day all of us will stand before Jesus Christ. Right, and this is 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10. All of us will one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And as Christians even, we will be rewarded based on what we have done. We will either hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Or not. And all throughout scripture, It talks about rewards, crowns for those who are faithful, who persevere under trial. It talks about the opportunity to reign with Jesus Christ. And so there seem to be rewards for Christians who are faithful throughout their life. And so on the heels of Hebrews 10, Hebrews 11 says, all right, you're having a hard time wrapping your mind around this because all you see is the here and now. You see the fear and the rejection and the loss that you may face for pursuing Jesus Christ. And he's going to say, what I want you to do is look at men and women of the faith who have gone before you, who have been faithful, and now they are receiving their reward. And in some cases, they did not even receive or see that reward in their lifetime. Some of them died without receiving the reward. And he says, but they received it. And so you walk in faith. Remember, these men and women are tempted to go back to the old system of Judaism they came from. He says, no, that would be a disaster. A disaster. Instead, you pursue the life of faith that God has set forth for you and there will be a reward. Hebrews 11 gives us a definition of what the life of faith looks like and it gives us some illustrations 
of those who have done it well. Now remember, Hebrews 11 is not talking about the kind of faith that Paul talks about, for example, in Romans chapter 5, 4 and 5. He's not talking about how do you exercise faith in Jesus Christ to receive eternal life. What Paul talks about all through Romans is this. If you believe in Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins and rose from the dead, that's how you receive eternal life. What Hebrews is talking about is the kind of faith that perseveres through your life. It is the kind of faith that earns the full reward that God has promised those who are faithful. It's better described as faithfulness. And he says, this is what faithfulness looks like in the life of a believer. And these are some people that did it. All right, so we're going to look at his definition. We're going to look at some examples. And the challenge is this. Will you and I step forward and be willing to risk things that we might want to hold on to, to pursue a greater reward that God has promised for those who will pursue Jesus Christ. And that's what Hebrews 11 is about. And the first thing he's going to say is this, faith believes what God has promised. Verse one, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. All right, he begins with a really clear definition of this faith. Uh, One way you could phrase it, the King James Version puts it this way, King James Version says this, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In other words, uh, faith is actually identified with its object, with its reward. It's the very essence or substance of things you don't see yet, right? What that means is not this. It doesn't mean that if you have faith, you can actually make things happen that wouldn't otherwise happen. Faith is grounded in God as its object and the promises God has given. So in other words, it's not a way of saying, you know, if I just believe hard enough that there will be a nice, wonderful Freebirds burrito on my desk tomorrow at lunch, it's going to happen. That's not what it's saying. It is saying this though. If I wake up in the morning and my wife says, Matt, I have a surprise for you at lunchtime and I'm going to provide your lunch. So look forward to that that's going to change the reality of how I live my day. Because I trust her, I know that she'll follow through, so I may walk through my day and I'm not going to go buy a lunch to have it ready. Uh, Somebody may come to me and say, hey Matt, uh, would you like to go to lunch? And I'm going to say, no, I have a promise. And that promise is that there's a surprise for lunch. I might even, might pass by some cookies that someone leaves in the office or some candy, right? Why? Because I have a hope. It's not oh, I hope this will happen. It's I have a promise. It's an expectation. And so my faith then begins to transform the way that I act throughout the day because I know that the promise is gonna happen. Right? That's what Hebrews 11 is talking about. God has made certain promises us to us in Jesus Christ. Faith does not make those promises happen, but instead faith believes in them so strongly, it's as if they already happened. All right, so let me give you an illustration. James 1.12 says, for those who persevere under trial, God will provide the crown of life. Do you believe that in those instances when you might face rejection because of your walk with Jesus Christ? Maybe you begin to get engaged in a Bible study or fellowship with other believers and you have family or friends that begin to say, why are you being such a fanatic or a crazy about this whole Jesus thing? It's fine to go to church, but once you start letting it interfere with those other days, you're getting a little out of hand. And you begin to face trial. And yet you hear James 1 and it says, God has promised reward for those who will persevere. Do you act as if that's true? 
do you persevere? Hear the promise from Matthew 28 that Jesus says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, as you fulfill the commission I give to go and make disciples, to share the gospel. Do you live as if that is true? That when you are going to share the gospel with a friend, when you're signing up or thinking about going on that mission trip to fulfill the great commission, do you live as if it's true that Jesus is going with you? And that means that as long as you are in his will and as long as he wants you to do his will, he is with you and will empower you to do his will and will provide all you need to complete it. And no matter what threat or temptation or trial may come into your life, you can trust that his plan is the best because Jesus is there with you. Do you live as if that's true? As if faith is the actual substance of things hoped for? Again, that hope being an expectation based on what God has promised. The evidence of things not seen. So that's what faith is. It clings to God's promises and says, I believe them and I will live in light of them. Faith is not a few things. There's a few things that it is not biblically here from Hebrews chapter 11. First of all, it's not a false hope. Again, it's not, uh, I hope that I'm gonna get $10,000 in my bank account. It's an expectation. A number of years ago, I remember there was a email chain forward that would go around that would say, this is a test that Bill Gates of Microsoft is sending around And if you will forward this email on, Bill Gates will write you a check for $10,000. And now millions of people forwarded it on, right? Who wouldn't? Uh, It might happen, right? You hope it happens. Now, the reality is it never happened, right? Now you guys are laughing at that, but uh, back then we actually believed that somehow he could monitor all of our email communications and reward us. The reality is he couldn't. Now, let's say that I was walking out of here today and I actually run into Bill Gates, And he looks at me and he says, I would like to give you $10,000. Here's a promise. It will be on your desk tomorrow. All right, now I'm going to act very differently in light of that promise. That is based on a solid expectation, a solid objective, solid object. That's what faith is. It's not, oh, I hope that my life will turn out okay. I hope that I'll get a promotion. I hope that I'll get married. I hope that I'll meet the right person. It is I know and expect that God has promised in Jesus Christ that those who are faithful will receive a reward, that those who are faithful will hear from their Savior, well done, good and faithful servant. And I know that at that moment, as I face my Savior, that's all that's gonna matter. So I live in light of that. Faith is also not, though, recklessness. It isn't, okay, God said that we need to fulfill the Great Commission, so I'm gonna go buy a plane ticket to a country I never heard of and leave tomorrow. Now, there may be instances in which God calls people to do that, but faith does not preclude planning. It does not preclude prayer. It does not preclude wise counsel. God has given those things in our life for good reason. So faith is not just recklessness and foolishness. On the other hand, faith is risky and scary and at times uncertain. If you live your life in complete comfort, if you walk through your life in complete comfort, lack of fear, total stability, the odds are that you are not living the life of faith. If you never take a risk of giving just a little bit more than you think is comfortable, if you never take a risk of sharing just a little bit more than you think you can and still maintain your sense of dignity and your reputation, if you never take that risk of stepping a bit outside your comfort zone, then you're probably, no, I would say you're definitely, not exercising faith as Hebrews talks about it. 
because all of their illustrations in Hebrews 11 deal with men and women who stepped outside the bounds of what was comfortable because they knew God had called them to a task. And then fourthly, faith can be mixed with doubt and fear. Can be mixed with doubt and fear. I love Mark 9. There's a guy that comes to Jesus to seek healing for his son who's foaming at the mouth and having epileptic fits. And he says, heal my son uh, if you can. And Jesus says, if you can, anything's possible to the one who believes. And the guy says, I do believe. Help my unbelief. He says, I believe, but I struggle with doubt. I struggle with fear. Faith does not mean you never are fearful. I used to hear these great stories of men and women who uh, did wonderful things for the Lord. They, they went to countries where no one had ever been and shared the gospel and they did it all by themselves. And I thought, man, I, I could never be that kind of person because I, I get afraid of stuff like that. But as you delve into the lives of these great men and women of God, what you find is they were also afraid. But they moved forward anyway. Because they allowed their faith in God's promises to be greater than the fear that they felt. If you're not feeling afraid at times, if you're not feeling doubt at times, it's either because you're not risking something or you're not thinking. You're not using your mind. The reality is every Christian, great and small, struggles with doubt and fear. And the test of a faithful Christian is not do I struggle with doubt and fear, but how do I respond to that doubt and fear? I respond by bringing it to my Savior and say, you know, I'm afraid, please help me. And then I move forward. Or do I respond, as Hebrews says, by shrinking back? So faith can include that doubt and fear. Now, it gives us some illustrations of the kind of faith that believes what was promised. I'm going to show you just a couple of them. Uh, First of all, we've got Noah. All right, look down here in verse uh, 7. By faith, Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. All right, so you remember the story of Noah, Genesis 6. God gives Noah a task. He says, Noah, uh, the world is wicked. I'm going to destroy it. Noah, you need to save your family. Go build a gigantic boat. All right, an ark basically means a box. Build this gigantic box. And then I'm going to flood the world and everybody else is going to be wiped out except you and your family. All right, so Noah, imagine this. Noah goes and he cuts down some trees. He gets some wood. He begins to build this thing on dry ground. And it's enormous. There's no rain. Can you imagine the ridicule the guy must have experienced? What are you doing? I'm building a big boat. (laughs) For what? We're miles inland. God's going to judge us by flooding the world. Okie dokie, right? But he keeps doing it because he trusted that God was going to save him and his family as he continued to be faithful. So he builds it and Noah receives his reward. God is faithful. He was warned by God about what? Things not yet seen. So he prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, condemned the world that said, no, eat, drink, be merry. They were going on as they'd always gone on. He became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith, right? Building the boat was what, not what gave Noah eternal life. Building the boat was what allowed Noah to receive the reward God had promised him, which in that case was his family didn't die. It says, that's the kind of faith that I'm challenging you to exercise. All right, Abraham, 
his other example here. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. All right, so God calls Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, and he says, Abraham, leave your people, leave your country, and go to a place. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to show you where it is. So Abraham has to pack everything up, and he doesn't have an itinerary. He just leaves. And as he goes along, God moves him the direction he's supposed to go. And ultimately God says, you're going to inherit this strip of land, you and your descendants. It will be yours forever. Uh, The problem is there's people living on it. Tall people, mean people, right? And yet God says, Abraham, go because I'm going to give you that land. Now that is an amazing thing that Abraham does just based on the word of God. And he goes to the land of Israel that ultimately God gives to his people. Further goes on, it says, verse 11, by faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man and him as good as dead at that. Do you like to be described that way in the Bible? As many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable as the sand, which is by the seashore. All right, probably a better way to translate this is, this is from the Net Bible translation. By faith, even though Sarah was barren and she was 90 years old, he, Abraham, received the ability to procreate because he regarded the one who had given the promise to be trustworthy. Remember, God comes to Abraham and Sarah when he's 100 years old and she is 90. And he says, I'm gonna fulfill this promise that your descendants will be as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Trust me. You know what Sarah does? You remember She bursts out laughing. This is a funny promise. If your great-grandmother came to you tomorrow and said, got some news, I'm expecting a baby, right? You'd think a number of things. One, she's nuts, right? Or two, uh, there's some medical science I'm unaware of that has allowed this to transpire. Or maybe there'd be a sliver of a thought in your mind that a miracle had occurred. That doesn't happen. And the reality is that even though Abraham and Sarah initially responded with ridicule and laughter and disbelief, they had that little spark of belief that God took and used to make Abraham the father of a nation. And that's comforting to me because the real issue is not the size of my faith. It's the size of God's promise and the power of God. And as Jesus says, even faith like a mustard seed can move a mountain. What he's saying is the size of my faith is not what's critical. What's critical is I exercise faith in the God who can do the impossible. So faith believes, even when it seems impossible, that God's promises are true. It fixes our eyes on God's promises. Years ago, I was talking with my wife's uh, grandparents, and uh, her grandfather was in World War II, as many of those of that generation, he was involved in World War II, and he had shipped off to a training facility in New York. They were living in Illinois. And back then, of course, there was no email, internet, even long distance phone calls were hard to accomplish. And so uh, his wife, Shannon's grandmother, had really no way of knowing uh, much what was going on. They could write letters back and forth, but they managed to communicate to her that there was going to be a certain day 
and time at which they were going to ship him out to go overseas. And so she got on a train and made the trip to New York to try to see him before he left. All right, but the problem is she had no cell phone. She couldn't call him. She didn't know what room number he was in. She only knew what hotel they were staying in and when they were going to leave. And so she got there on a day that she knew that they were out training a couple days before they were going to leave. And she said, I didn't know how to get in touch with him. And there were so many soldiers coming and going in this hotel. I was afraid I was going to miss him and miss my opportunity to say goodbye. So she said, here's what I did. I got there in the morning and I sat down on a bench in the lobby and I stared at the door for eight to 10 hours. She said, I didn't get up to go to the bathroom. I didn't walk around to take a stretch because she said, I get up to go to the bathroom. He might walk in. So she fixed her eyes on that door. She just waited till he walked in the door because she knew he was coming. That's the faith that believes what is promised. That's what Abraham did. That's what Noah did. That's what God calls you and me to do. You fix your eyes on that promise and you say, God has promised a reward to those who will walk in faith. I'm going to fix my eyes on it. So faith believes what is promised. Secondly, as we move through Hebrews, faith receives what is promised. Verse two, for by it, that is by faith, the men of old gained approval. They gained approval. In other words, as they were faithful, they received the reward that God has promised. It wasn't just that they believed it, but God gave it to them. All right, many of you have had the experience perhaps of going on an exercise program or a diet or something along those lines. And you know that in the early stages of it, it is a miserable experience. It's horrible to begin to try to exercise your body screams against it. It says, I was happy over there on the sofa, right? It begins to scream against it. I was happy eating what I was eating. But as you stick with it, you begin to reap the rewards. You feel better. You have more energy. You look better. But you have to stick with it. And at first, it's painful. All right, this is what Hebrews is talking about. That many of these men and women, the things that God asked them to do were difficult, trying, painful And involved loss. But ultimately as they persevered. They received a reward. And literally in verse 2 it says they received a good testimony from God. That is God gave them a good testimony of this is a faithful person. It reminds me of Matthew 25. When it says Jesus will say to those who have been faithful. Well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Here's your reward. So faith receives the things that have been promised and receives approval, a good testimony from God. Two illustrations he gives. Verse four, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Remember Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's kids. We don't know exactly everything that was going on in that passage in Genesis 4, but Cain comes, makes an offering of fruit to God. says God had no regard for Cain's offering. Abel makes an offering to God and God accepts it. And Hebrews tells us the only thing we really know about the difference in these is Abel's offering was given in faith. He trusted in God. Cain's offering was not. Maybe it is that Abel's offering was more sacrificial and he trusted God to provide. Maybe it is that there was some command God had given them and Abel gave according to that command and Cain didn't. We really don't know. But what we know is that as Abel gave that gift, he offered it looking to God who would reward him and trusting in God. Cain did not. And although Cain killed Abel, 
And Abel's body is in the ground. It says, even though he's dead, he still speaks because God testifies. Abel is righteous. Abel did what was right. And Abel receives a reward. The other illustration, Enoch, verse five, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up for he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Enoch, interesting story, but one of the few people in the Bible that he just, he doesn't die. Uh, As you go through these genealogies in Genesis 5, there's this guy, Enoch. uh, It says, Enoch was no more. God took him up. He walked with God through his life. And then God said, all right, here's your reward. You're going to skip the whole grave part. Just come be with me. And so Enoch receives a good testimony from God in the eyes of even the world that he is righteous. So it says, you look forward to that testimony and don't shrink back but know that the only testimony that matters is that of God who will reward. You may receive persecution, negative words, loss that comes from the world and those around you, but God promises that those who are faithful will receive what he promises to give. The opportunity to reign alongside Jesus Christ. Rewards that we will use to worship God for eternity. Faith receives what is promised. And then thirdly, faith sees the invisible. Verse three, by faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. In other words, God made the world and God sees everything about the world. And one of the things that God knows that we don't always uh, fully grasp is that there is a spiritual reality behind the physical reality. There are invisible things about this world that we cannot see. And one of those is that God sees everything and every person is a spiritual being and God has an economy that is different from ours. And so when I step out in faith and I act in faith, Even though I may not be rewarded now by physical, tangible things, God promises a reward. Every person is a spiritual being made by God, and so he has called us to engage with a spiritual world. But we don't always see it. Faith sees the invisible. Quick story, uh, back when I was a sophomore in college, I lived in one of the dorms on Southside, and uh, our dorm happened to overlook, it was right across from a girl's dorm. I was just telling someone this morning, back then the guys and the girls' dorms were separated. We didn't have guys and girls typically in the same dorm. Our dorm overlooked one of the girls' dorms and we could see across the way uh, when they would come and go from their building. And somebody uh, figured out, there's a little call box that they would call to get into their dorm. Somebody figured out how we could call that box uh, and leave an open line where as girls were walking in and out of their building, we could talk to them. All right, but uh, they could not see us. So we would stand on the third or fourth floor and we would get on the phone and we would call that number. And as they walked by, we'd say things like, help, help, I'm, I'm in the box, right? And, and, you know, or things like that, right? And we would ask questions and all, and, and all of them, without exception, would freak out as soon as they heard the box beginning to talk to them. They, they're looking around, they can't figure out what's going on. Uh, and they did not almost... Never did they turn around and look up to see who was on the phone. Once or twice they did, and then someone called campus police, and we had to stop, all right? (laughs) But the reality is this, that there was something else going on beyond what they could see, 
All right, there was a reality above them and behind them that they could not see. That is what Hebrews says. God made this world and there are realities that we are not always aware of. And I wonder if you have ever just sat in the middle of campus and watched the people coming and going and thought, these are men and women made in the image of God who are spiritual beings who have an eternal destiny. And God has called me to engage them on a spiritual level. And that is risky and it requires faith and it is difficult. But do I believe in the God who made the world? Do I believe in the God who's returning to the world to set it right? That he will reward. And that above and beyond everything I see, there is a reality. And that the reward I'm going to receive eternally is is better than any job It's better than any prestige. It's better than any accolades that may come to me because faith sees the invisible. That reality helps us lead the life of faith. Because even the irritating guy in my classes or at work is a spiritual being that God loves, that Jesus died for. And I'm called to reach out to that person faithfully. And so as you guys think through Hebrews 11, quickly, a few applications. What areas do I need greater faith in my life. Maybe it is in this area of evangelism. Every time I share the gospel, every time, I'm afraid. Every single time. And it may be that God is calling you despite the fear to share with a friend, neighbor, family member, classmate, whoever it may be, to fulfill the Great Commission. Maybe it's in this area of discipleship that God's calling you to pour your life and your spiritual walk into another person's and you're afraid because you feel inadequate or fearful or weak. God says, take the next step. Pursue the Christian life as I've called you to. Go deeper in the faith and help others to come along. And maybe it's in the area of your future. You're terrified and your temptation is just to find the job that will pay the most money, that will give you the most prestige and God may be calling you to something else. He may call you to that job, but he may be calling you to something else. And so the question you may need to ask is instead of how can I find the safest, most comfortable life? How can I find the life where I can use my gifts and abilities to most effectively impact God's kingdom? And that may be in a place where you make lots of money, but that may not. But am I willing without considering first and foremost that issue to pursue what God would have for my life? And then finally, this area of relationships. Am I willing to think through all of my relationships, friendships, dating relationships, future marriage, in the grid of what would God have me do? Is this a relationship that is going to honor him, lead others to him? Or is this a relationship that's pulling me away from him? And do I need to either set it aside or drastically change it? Will I think through every aspect of my life from this grid of faithfulness, knowing that God will reward those who are faithful? We're going to respond with a song this morning. And as we do, the challenge is for us to fix our eyes on the hope that God has promised. That he is a rewarder of those who will diligently seek him. Do we believe that and live in light of it as if it is true? Or are we tempted to shrink back in fear? As we, as we sing this song, just come before God and ask him, what's the next step for me in my Christian life? How can I exercise greater faith in every area so that I can look forward to the reward, to what he's promised? God, we do. We thank you that you have rescued us by the blood of Jesus and you have promised us reward for faithfulness. And Father, let us fix our eyes on the hope that is ahead of us 
and leave those things behind us that would keep us from pursuing you wholeheartedly. Father, protect us from being overwhelmed by our fears and doubts and instead allow us to bring those to you and trust you that you will fulfill your purposes and you have called us to be a part of it. We thank you, God. We pray be with us this week and watch over each person as they go home as well or go out for the break. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Have a great week.